Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas, and we are on the backside of the final Trentino round, Arco de Trento, as they say. And if you like racing, if you like drama, if you like suspense, if you like storylines, this MXGP class has it all. Uh, Before we get into that, though, let's thank the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Fast Foundry, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, Blenzol, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them for being a part of this podcast as we get ready for the 2022 Supercross season. That's what my morning has consisted of is uh, preparations, plans, and uh, yeah, it's going to be here before we know it. We're already into November now. So as for yesterday, what do we see? Let's talk MX2 first. Uh, You know, that This storyline, if you haven't been listening lately, I've been talking about how the series was kind of over. Maxime Renault was well on his way to wrapping this thing up, which is fine. He he has earned that through consistency and even through, you know, kind of asserting himself as the best guy as of late here. Before then, I really felt like this was Tom Vial series and Renault was kind of sitting on the throne of Vial series. But I give Renault some credit because he was able to outduel Vial as of late and prove that if he's not the outright best guy, which I would argue, he's certainly worthy of, you know, the championship. You know, I think this championship, he went out and got it. He can't control Tom Vial injuring himself. And I think he's won enough and he's beaten Tom Vial straight up a few times now to prove that no one handed him anything. So, Hats off to Maxime Renault and good job to him. And we'll see what next year brings because I think he will leave. I think he's going to go to the MXGP class. I don't personally think that's the greatest idea. And I think he should stay down and compete in the MX2 class again. It sounds like he's going to factory Yamaha uh, MXGP team. So he will be teammates with Jeremy Sewer and Glenn Koldenhoff. But that class is no joke. And I don't personally think that you should be in any hurry to lead the MX2 class when you can win races beyond a factory bike and make you know a decent amount of money. I just think there's something to be said for staying down, maturing. And that doesn't mean you can't sign a contract that will allow you to step into the 450 class when it's time, you know, step into the MXGP class when it's time, just like he's going to do next year, right? That would be me in this sport for a long time. My 
outside with no influence opinion. You know, if he asked me for guidance, which he never would, why would he, right? That's what I would tell him. I would say, okay, go to Yamaha, negotiate a deal, because I think he still has two more eligible years in MX2, unless I got bad information. So I would say at least one. And if you don't want to do two more, sign a two to three year deal where next year you defend your MX2 World Championship, you get a significant raise, you get good bonuses to, to go win, and then have that guaranteed graduate year into the 450 class. And hopefully you have established enough leverage to get two years, right? That would be ideal. So if you could get a two, three, four year deal out of Yamaha right now on the back end of all this enthusiasm, and you really need to strike when the iron is hot. You know, there's so much to be said for leverage in any situation, any business engagement, you know, and racing is very much that, you know, in, in these situations, when you have the leverage, which Renault does right now, you need to get the best deal possible. You need to set yourself up for the foreseeable future, the best deal, the longest uh, horizon on factory equipment that you could possibly negotiate. So he could totally prove me wrong. Maybe he steps up into the MXGP cl class next year and does really well. But when I look at that field, I just don't see what the hurry is. You know, you should want to mature, take your time. And when you step up, m have maximized all of the MX2 success that you could garner, make the most money you can, racked up the most wins you can, world titles, all those things. And then when you step up, when you're 23, 24, you are ready. You're as ready as possible, both physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, maturity on every level uh, to go battle with those guys. And one thing I haven't really mentioned in this podcast, another aspect of that is you're also allowing some of these guys to age out, right? You're going to lose the likes of Tony Cairoli. Maybe Jeffrey Hurlings is thinking about retirement at that point. Some of these guys will be, you know, two or three years older by the time he gets there. And even if they're still around, maybe they've lost some of their effectiveness, right? Maybe this class is easier then than it will be in 2022. And that's, that's a big deal because if you go talk to guys like Ben Watson and you know, any of the guys that moved up recently, they're going to tell you how challenging and how difficult this class is. You know, Calvin Vlaanderen, any of those guys that are struggling, they're mid pack, you know, five to 15 on, on their best day, they're top 10, you know, most days they're 12, 10 to 20. Adam Sterry would be another guy that was a good MX2 rider, stepped up and he found out how hard the MXGP class is. So again, I, I've kind of been harping on that, but I just think if he took his time and maximized everything that the MX2 class has to offer, both financially and maturity, uh, and just gaining experience, gaining skill sets, and you're just gonna get better at that age um, I just think that would be the right step. So we'll see, right? We, that's the great part of this is we get to watch this play out and see if I'm proven foolish or if maybe I was onto something. I think next year, assuming Renault leaves, I think this is the all series again. I think he will be your 2022 world champion. Really the only rider I could see challenging him is Yago Geertz. And I don't know what to think about Geertz because there was a lot of hype surrounding Geertz for a few years, right? He was kind of supposed to be the next guy. He was supposed to be a future world champion. And I remember going over there, my first 
time helping with the MXGP TV broadcast crew was uh, Ottobiano 2018. And it was June of 2018. And I didn't know a lot about Geertz. So I was asking questions. I was talking with Paul Malin quite a bit about who's up and coming. I knew the kind of the established guys, but I was like, okay, who's on the horizon? What sort of background knowledge can you share with me quickly so I don't sound uneducated? Because I had done my homework. I'd watched every race for the past couple of seasons, just trying to learn. I'd even done a bunch of homework on EMX to kind of know who was coming. But, you know, Paul is a wealth of information. Like the guy is just a walking encyclopedia for, you know, those not only MX2 and MXGP, but all of the EMX classes as well, because he announces all those, right? So he's seen the progression of all these guys. And even him at the time, was he he was basically like hey Geertz is next like Geertz should win like he was still in high school at the time and once he's able to focus on racing full-time you're going to see really quick and fast progression out of him and not to say he was wrong I just thought he would be more consistent and winning on a a week in a week out level and trying to win a world championship which he is he's, he's relevant you know he's top three in the series but he hasn't really put any pressure on uh, to win this world championship. So we'll see how he develops, if he can stay healthy through the offseason and into next year. That will help. I just think that Tom Viola is a step ahead of them. So it's kind of how I see that class playing out. Um, but again, I mean, credit to Renault because I was kind of doubting him the whole way. Uh, I did not think he was going to win this world title. Of course, yes, he got help from Vial and Geertz and these guys, but... Again, he won a lot of races. And you see in the in race two at Trentino, he went out and beat Vial straight up. And that says a lot to me. When I'm questioning, is he the deserving champion or, or was he the recipient of gifts, right? And there's no asterisk ever on a championship. But as I'm analyzing this, I look at it and say, okay, was he the best guy or was he in the right place at the right time? That's a fair question to ask. And when he goes out and beats Vial a couple times, I think you remove any asterisk, right? Yes, great, you got some help along the way, but that's not your fault. And when you were asked to step up and beat Vial straight up, you were able to. Maybe not every time, but he did do it. So uh, I kind of have removed any questions or asterisk or anything uh, on Renault's championship. And uh, yeah, just credit to him and congratulations. So let's jump into... MXGP, and obviously this is where all the drama is, all the talk, all the speculation. Um, everybody's here for this because this series has been all time. I mean, literally one of the best championships I've ever seen. And I would throw in uh, like 2006 Supercross as one of those. Um, trying to think of some other historic championships that went down to the wire. I guess uh, 1996, 125 class outdoors between... Lampson and Ryan Hughes has to be in there. You know, there have been historic championships that came down to the last race, the last moto type stuff, but it's been a while. It's been a minute since we've had anything that dramatic. And especially in Europe, you know, these European MXGP championships have kind of been runaways for quite a while now. We haven't had anything come down to even the last race or two for several years now. And it's like it all built up into this one year because we're getting the suspense unexpected crashes first turn pileups bikes breaking everything right but amidst all that chaos 
here we are going we went into the fourth race to go three points apart we get crazy action crashes and all kinds of things go on and then we're still three points apart leaving the fourth race with and then or excuse me the third race now we have two to go so that's that's just really rare that doesn't happen very often and you know i consider myself a student of the sport i've been around it my entire life and i i literally mean my entire life and so i know i have a great recall of this stuff and i can remember series and you know uh, just nuance that a lot of a lot of people don't because they weren't probably weren't paying attention they just weren't as close to it um it, or you know i was participating in a lot of these series too so every second of every day uh, I was living this. I was around Chad Reed and Tim Ferry and Sebastian Tortelli and Carmichael and all these guys on a practicing day in and day out level to see and and listen to their experiences as they lived it. So I had a a very privileged experience with that, and it's something I don't take for granted for sure. But I I think I have some insight as to kind of how these things unfold a little bit, and we're watching it. You know, I was just in Italy last weekend watching this unfold talking to tony Cairoli, talking to these guys to get their emotions kind of in the moment and uh yeah it's it's something we we need to we need to make the most of right we need to grasp this time and and really lock in because this doesn't this just doesn't happen like this very often so what went down right well i think the biggest storyline was jeffrey hurlings goes full meltdown mode in race two makes a mistake early just after the finish line jump kind of high sides which can happen you know he he caught a bump wrong it surprised him threw him off balance and he crashed like that's not anything too crazy like we see stuff like that happen so that to me was like oh wow he he caught him off guard you know out of character for sure but crashes happen in motocross look at geyser at um with trentino round one did he crash no, it was uh, the weekend before that. Where were they? Spain, right? Big crash there. Like crashes happen in this sport, right? So to think Hurlings can't crash would be silly. But the second crash to me was like, oh, wow, something's going on here, right? And I need to go back and listen to the interviews he's done and anything he shared information-wise because to me, it screamed of mental meltdown mid-moto because he, he overjumped the finish line by, I don't know, 10 feet. And that jump, you know, guys come out of the corner and they scrub down and it's a really easy jump, really easy landing. It's hard to make a mistake on. And he flat landed the thing. So I don't know, like a lot of times these guys will freak out mid-motor, like he crashes, freaks out, championships coming apart, everything's going wrong. And you're not thinking about what you're doing. You know, you're not locked in to exactly what's happening. And you just forget, you know, forget what jump you're on. You forget what gear you're in. You forget to scrub. So you jump like high and you over jump where you meant to go. Like any of those things could have happened. So I I would be curious to hear his honest take on what went on. But to me, from the outside watching, I would say he was freaking out for lack of a better term. He was having some sort of mental breakdown where he wasn't thinking he was thinking about everything that could go wrong in the championship coming apart versus being locked into what he was actually doing and trying to catch up and you just see him he lands long hands come off over the bars lands on his back and i mean he salvaged right he gets up and just rides his tail off 
And then you get into the other subject of this, which is the teammate side. But he, he did a lot of damage control in a race where there was a lot of damage to be controlled. And he's certainly not out of this thing. He's only three points down. No big deal. Like, it, you know, I, I really think it's going to come down to who's the best guy in these last two. But, man, he could have made life a lot easier on himself had he not thrown away. You know, he was in second place when he crashed the first time, right? Whether he beats Geyser or not, who's to say? But even if he just finishes second instead of what he ended up with fourth, those are really valuable points this late in the series. Um, so just we need to continue to watch the mental development and evolution as these series go on because I think to a man, every one of us and, and women, after race one, at Trentino 2, which was on Wednesday, you know, a little less than a week ago, in between motos, I think all of us were like, man, Hurlings is, uh, he, he's walking away with this thing. He, he's going to win this. He was up to 24 points. And now we're three motos later, and he's out of the championship lead, right? That's, that's pretty wild. And it has not gone well three motos in a row. He had a one okay one, but then two that it really went off the rails for him. And he needs to get back on track. He needs to... I don't know. I don't pretend to know exactly what he needs to do, but if, if I was in his corner, I would try to like get him removed a little bit from racing like today being Monday, step away a little bit, like relax. Let's go for a bicycle ride. Let's go to dinner. Let's go watch a movie, right? Something to get your mind off of racing, right? You don't want to get out of your routine as far as training. You want to stay sharp, but you know, I think uh, Sebastian Tortelli used to do this a lot. He would just go watch a movie the day before the race or right after a race or whatever. If he had a bad race, he would do something to kind of make a break away from that experience and those negative thoughts. And if he was super nervous about a race on like Friday, I did it many times with him. We would just go watch a race. And for two or three hours, your mind is on this movie. Like you're thinking about what's going on and you're like locked in and zoned in on what the movie instead of all of this pressure and what can go wrong and it did all did I train enough did I do enough work am I going to perform tomorrow right like there's a lot of thoughts that can eat you alive if you let them so he would use something like that as a way to manage all that because whatever's going to happen when the gate drops is going to happen right you've either done the work and you're fast enough or you're not sitting there and stewing on a bad race and just allowing it to overwhelm your senses and drag you down does no good. So I would be really trying to break him out of that. And like, let's go do something else. Like, let's go. I mean, it's too cold to ride jet skis or do anything like that. But something like that, that's going to get your mind off of it. And you can just get a full, full reset before you go into Mantova, where he just had a great motocross of nations. I mean, he was dominant at that track just a month ago. So we'll see what brings... Uh, what Mantova brings for Jeffrey Hurlings, but man, what a rough race two for him. Geiser, on the other hand, I mean, he was amazing in race two, just a brilliant ride in that second moto. He was by himself, 15 seconds out front, seemed to be just kind of cruising and did exactly what he needed to do to, uh, to maximize race two. So we'll see how he rides at Mantova. You know, I think it's kind of a neutral track for him. Not great, not terrible, but He's going to have to win. I think if you're going to win this title, you're going to have to win at least one of the, you know, there's four remaining, they say races versus where we say motos. 
I think you're going to have to win one of those four. I don't think you can just run around second, third, fourth and pull this thing off. I think you're going to have to maximize some points in here to get it done. So that was a great way for him to, uh, to get back to the top and get that red plate going into Mansova. Roman Febra, he's riding amazingly well. You watch him ride and you wonder how he's not winning more. But then you see that crash at the end of race one and you're in like, wow, like he's lucky he's not hurt. And he was going for it. I give him credit because he was sending it, trying to pass Jeremy Sewer at the beginning or at the beginning of the last lap because he understands how valuable those points would be. You know, picking up a few more points, that swing there is huge. And I think he saw an opportunity to get up and make a really aggressive pass on Sewer. And yeah, I mean, crashes happen, right? He's, I think he's very fortunate that he got up. His bike was able to keep going. He still finished second. He wasn't hurt you know, for race two, like there was a lot of, uh, lucky, I guess, lucky results that came out of a big crash. Cause it could have gotten a lot worse. Um, you see how it flipped him over and he lands in that fence. Like there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong there and we don't even need to talk about them because they didn't. But when you watch that crash, you're like, man, that was literally best case scenario for you to get up, stay in second. Your bike's fine. You're fine. Uh, so yeah, I, I was happy, you know, it would have ruined the championship and of course ruined, uh, you know, his season. Um, but anyway, big crash there. If you haven't watched that race, go back and watch because just a wild last lap that Fever had there. Jeremy Sewer, of course, his championship is over. He had a really rough 2021, but not now. Uh, he is on fire at the moment. And there's something to be said for this track. He has made mention that this track is very similar to what he grew up on in Switzerland. You know, harder dirt, slippery, uh, traction's not great. Um, kind of, you know, the hilly, that landscape uh, backdrop is very similar to Switzerland. So I think this was a, a race that brought him comfort and allowed him to kind of find his level again. And then the other side of that is he's been really sick all year. So clearly, whatever was ailing him and Epstein Barr and all kinds of things he had going on, is obviously fixed you know it's clearly right now and he's healthy because you watch his intensity in qualifying in the races he's able to hold that pace and he ends up winning and i mean he went one two on the day great day for jeremy seward I'm, I'm a big jeremy seward fan i like the way he goes about his business i i think he's has a really cool personality and i think he's kind of come out of nowhere like he wasn't he wasn't a superstar as a kid you know, it was kind of the opposite of Jer Jeffrey Hurlings. <clears throat> so to see him at the top of this MXGP class and winning is pretty great. I just, I think it's a really cool success story that I, you know, I can kind of latch onto. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me. Well, you know, there's, there are all these other guys, Carolis and <clears throat> Hurlings and these other guys that they never knew any difference than winning, right? Where Seward was kind of the opposite. He didn't win world titles in MX2. He fought his way to the top of MXGP. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, I always kind of cheer for him. Now, the other thing we want to talk about, well, let's, let's talk about TC, Tony Caroli. Um, his results weren't indicative of his speed at this final round. You know, he, he helped Jeffrey Hurlings. He pulls over in the last corner, lets him by. So that obviously hurts his results. And for those of you, you know, Tony made a post saying that people were DMing him, making threats and insults and all kinds. Of, like, if you're one of those people, come on, man, get a life. Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing something that ridiculous? Like, these guys are racing dirt bikes, right? At the end of the day, it's a motorcycle race. 
And for you to go that, you know, that crazy and to say repulsive things like that, I mean, I, I'm sure you don't care what I think, but I have zero respect for you if you're doing something like that. So take a deep breath, understand that it's a dirt bike race and also understand that Tony Cairoli is like one of the best people in the sport as a person. So if you're going to pick somebody to talk to that way, it damn sure shouldn't be Tony Cairoli. Now that leads into this team tactics conversation. And I mean, it was, it was obvious, right? Jeffrey Hurlings made mention of it. Tony Cairoli made mention of it. They're not trying to hide it where you saw like Marvin Muscan in 2017, the Dungy Muscan thing where they won't talk about it, like was ridiculous the Eli Tomac and Savachi helping each other at Monster Cup in 2018, whatever year that was, also ridiculous. Like, I can't stand that stuff where it's, you're, everyone knows. Everyone that has a brain and is able to really dissect a situation understands what happened. And you guys are just going to just flatly deny, like, get out of here with that. Like, you're ridiculous. You're only making yourself look stupid by pretending that this isn't what happened. And I hate that. So I give those guys credit. I give Hurlings credit. I give Tony credit for just coming out and saying it like, Hey, we're on a team KTM and, and basically all the Austrian brands, whether it's gas, gas, KTM or Husky, they pay us to win championships period bar none end of story. And if we need to help each other to accomplish that goal as a team, then we will do that. I, you know, you can argue it if you're a Kawasaki fan or a Honda fan or a Geyser fan or whatever, you can be mad about it, but facts are facts. And I would much rather somebody just be transparent and tell me exactly what's going on than try to hide around. I I just had zero respect for how uh, KTM went about that whole deal, um, you know, in 2017. So enough about that. Uh, You know, we're on to... Mantua, two rounds, one week apart. It's kind of a normal schedule in Mantua, and we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we talked about Hurlings was great there. I think, you know, his willingness to do the Motocross of Nations event could turn out to be the difference, right? I think at the time, everybody kind of looked at it as like, is this, is this the right play here? Uh, you know, you're taking a big risk with a championship on the line, going to a race that you don't really need to be at. You see Roman Fevre and Tim Geiser both avoided it, right? They took time off. They hung out at home, like got some rest, were able to regroup where Hurlings went and raced. And I think that Hurlings felt some pressure to race. Like he, he definitely, I don't know, I don't want to say succumb to the pressure, but he accepted the challenge to go race where a lot of other guys said no. And it would be pretty ironic, I think, if it ends up being the difference, right? He comes out and is, is so on point because he raced that race. He went through a whole weekend of that event, dominated everybody, has all this track experience, and you just see him run away with those two rounds. I just think that would be kind of interesting. And, and you all know how much of a huge fan I am of Motocross of Nations. So I think, just think that would be really fitting uh, to see him make the most of a Mantova event that I don't think he wanted to be at. I really don't. And I'll say that on the front end. I think he felt like he needed to. He wanted, you know, he wanted to be there for his Dutch team. I think Red Bull really wanted him to be there. 
but to see that pay off with a championship at that track, I think would be kind of cool. So we'll see what, uh, you know, Mantova brings. Um, the last note that I wanted to, uh, to talk about uh, was the second Kawasaki spot is up for grabs. Um, that team is going to be under the Ice One tent next year. So Husky will go away from Ice One. Cowie will fill that void. So that means that Roman Fevra will go to Ice One Kawasaki. The second seat there is open. So the possibilities I'm hearing are Calvin Vlanderen, Ben Watson, or uh, Matisse Barame. Now, I personally think that it's going to be uh, Barame. That, that's my guess. Um, he's been on that team right now, and I think that you'll just see him end up there. He, he did a really good job for them. Uh, he got, like, a top, I think, sixth overall with the first Trentino round. He's French, which will help, um, you know, I, I think have an easier kind of, uh, let me think, relationship, I guess, like the dynamic inside the Ice One Kawasaki truck will be good, right? Both being French, they can communicate, they can work together. Maybe they can train together easier because they're both French. I just think that is a big feather in Boirame's cap. So we'll see how this shakes out. Um, but I think it, I think it looks good for Boirame at this point uh, in this kind of development. You look at Ben Watson, he had a good race, so maybe that helps him. You know, Vlanderen isn't able to race at all because he's injured. That certainly can't be a help right now. Um, but interesting, I think, stuff going on under that tent because that's really the last seat that's available. Like, that's what everybody's going after is that second Cowie seat. And, uh, yeah, I don't think they – I've talked to them personally. They have it. They don't know yet. They haven't made any decisions, so we'll see. And one other note I just remembered, the – second HRC spot for the last two rounds will be filled by uh, Ruben Fernandez. So that's a big team tactics angle that's going to develop here because they have not had anybody there. Mitch Evans has been hurt all season and he, and uh, Tim Geiser hasn't had any help. And you saw how big of a deal that was at Mantua. It was huge, absolutely critical to get those extra points to, uh, to help out there. So um, watch for uh, Ruben Fernandez to be a factor. I don't think he's fast enough to actually beat Hurlings, but he could be in the way, right? Start next to him, maybe block him a little bit, like do something to help Tim Geiser, just like Tony Cairoli and Jorge Prado did. So that's it for this week. Again, thank you to all the sponsors. Um, I couldn't do this without them. And, you know, it's kind of off season time, but I want to make sure that everybody's giving them some attention uh, Pirelli, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Fly Racing, Pro Glow with that promo code MOTO15, 612 Suspension, Blends All, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, and that's it. We'll see you next week.